Welcome back, dear listener, to another exciting episode of The Forge. I know the last episode went long, and I hope to keep this one... Let's just say that I want to keep this one not as long. I don't want to commit myself too far here. <laughs> but uh, I'll try to keep it uh, shorter than our last episode. I want to send out a special thanks to the country of Brazil. As I see, I have at least one listener in the country of Brazil. It's the latest country to be added to our listener list here at The Forge. I have had at least one listener in all of the following countries. Let's see, we've got Germany, South Africa, Australia, Ghana, UK, Canada, India, Ethiopia, Israel, and now we've got Brazil. So thank you all for taking the time to listen to be a part of this with me it means more than I could ever express and I'm nobody special I'm no one special I'm no celebrity I'm not a famous preacher or teacher I'm just a guy with a microphone I'm learning the technology as I go um, and I appreciate your patience as I learn through this uh, these are the tools that the Lord uh, has seen fit to uh, give to me. Uh, these are the gifts that he has given. And so if I can use whatever it is that I have for his glory, uh, then so be it. May he bless it. Um, because without him, truly, I don't even have the breath of life without my Lord Jesus Christ, much less the other blessings that he's given. And so uh, I really want us to have that frame of mind. Everything all of this that we're doing here um, with the forge it all comes from God it's all for his purpose for his glorification and I hope that this is useful to you in some way so with that frame of mind uh, set in our hearts and in our minds let's prepare ourselves for the reading of God's Word we are going to be in the book of Jude today. We're only going to take the first two verses. It's a short book, only 25 verses long. You may remember from the previous episode. And we're going to break it down into even smaller chunks, uh, taking it just a few verses at a time. So let's be still before our Lord. Jude, verse 1. The Word of God. Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. As for the reading of God's Word, as I've said many times before, may He bless the hearing and the reading of it. And you may recall from the previous episode that uh, we talked about the shortness of this book and the uniqueness of the authorship and uh, I just made mention that we're going to just take it in small chunks maybe a verse or two at a time uh, but we will get through it we won't make it longer than it has to be and but before we jump into those first two verses I want to share with you one possible way to outline this wonderful book it's been called an inversion pattern and for those listening to the podcast you're not going to see the slideshow that I'm about to show uh, I'm putting a slideshow into the video 
But try to follow along if you're on the podcast. Try to follow along with your imagination as I describe what the outline looks like. It follows a chiastic form, which we've discussed in other episodes. I take you back to the book of Jonah. If you're listening to the podcast, we went through the book of Jonah. It is set up in a chiastic form as well. And we see this in Hebrew poetry. And feel free to go back um, and listen to the podcast. Um, And again, just ask for your patience. As I was learning, uh, some of the audio is better in some places better than others. But uh, be that as it may, we talk about the um, this inversion pattern really as one form of the chiastic pattern that we talk about. And so let's take a look at it here in Jude and see how it shakes out here. Stated this is just one way to outline this book. There's several ways to approach the book of Jude. This just happens to be the way that I chose to do it. And so you'll notice that the book is divided into six different themes and I have assigned each one of the themes a letter. I could have just as easily uh, done this with numbers one, two, three, four, five, and six, but I chose to use letters A, B, C, D, E, F. Doesn't really matter. The point is, um, what I want you to see here on the slide is that we have these six themes, and I stopped here with verse 11, the trio of apostasy. And verse 11 here, what I've called the trio of apostasy, this begins the turnaround of the inversion pattern. And I'll show you what I mean. You'll notice as I put letter E here in place that it is a mirror of something that was discussed before. So we have apostasy in the supernatural in verses 9 through 10, and then that gets mirrored as apostasy in the natural in verses 12 and 13. And so it goes. Theme letter D, apostates in the Old Testament, verses 5 through 8, is then mirrored again, apostates in the Old Testament, verses 14 through 16. And we see the same thing happening with the letter C, apostates described in verse 4, And that theme gets repeated again in verses 17 through 19, apostates described. And now we have letter B, the believer and the faith in verse 3, also mirrored again, the believer and the faith in verses 20 through 23. And then the last one, theme letter A, assurance for the believer in verse 1 and verse 2. It's the first thing we open with. And then when we close out, Verses 24 through 25, it ends again on the assurance for the believer. So very exciting way to look at the book of Jude. And I do want to focus back on those first two verses. Uh, This outline is just to give you an idea of how we're going to do things as we proceed forward in our Bible study. 
And what we have here in these first two verses, there are two key points that I want to bring out to you. The first is, is that as a Christian, you've been called, beloved, kept, elected, summoned, preserved. You've been set apart for Christ. And then there's three words that come up here in verse two. We're going to concentrate on these three words, mercy, peace, and love. So today we're going to be looking at this theme and we're going to click off of our PowerPoint uh, slideshow right now and get back into the regular video. So today we're looking at assurance for the believer as we just covered in that PowerPoint. Those first two verses here in the book of Jude give us assurance for the believer. And you might be wondering, how do you find assurance for the believer in just two verses? What's in there? Well, friends, we're going to unpack it. We're going to take a few key words here. We're going to study them. And we're going to see that what Jude had in mind here, of course, under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is assurance for those of us who have placed our faith and our trust in Christ. One of the words that I want us to take a look at is this word that Jude uses for himself. He calls himself a bond servant, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. You know, just as a very quick reminder here, in the ancient world, when letters were written, they started off the letter by introducing who was writing to you. So you didn't have to wait till the end of the letter for it to say, sincerely, so-and-so, in this case, it would have been sincerely Jude. No, Jude starts out at the very beginning telling you who he is and that he is writing this letter. You know, he would introduce himself at the first. That's the way it was done in the ancient world. And so we spent a lot of time in the previous episode talking about authorship and how we've come to the conclusion that we know who, uh, which Jude it was who wrote this book of Jude. But I want to point out here that he could have called himself the full brother of James and the half brother of Jesus, or he could have said something like, I'm the, I'm another one of Jesus's brothers, but he didn't identify himself that way. He calls himself a bond servant. And you know, he had every right just as much as, as maybe James would say, I'm a brother of Jesus. Jude could have said the same thing, but it's very important here. And I don't want us to miss this. He calls himself a bond servant. Why do you think he would do that? Well, I have uh, several thoughts on that. I, uh, I've heard people say, um, even in today's modern language, I've heard Christians, when referring to their Christianity, they've referred to themselves as a slave of Jesus, uh, referring to their servitude toward uh, Jesus. Um, and indeed, I've even seen people sign a letter or an email saying something like, his slave or a slave of Christ, and, and then they sign their name. And, and friends, I would just caution us to be careful of terms like that. And here's the reason why. Yes, Christians are servants of Christ, but our servitude is from a willing heart. 
It's a willing service. And it's not really accurate to call ourselves a slave of Christ, at least without some clarification. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, the Bible says this. It says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bond servants for Jesus' sake. You see, a slave does what he or she is commanded to do, whether they are willing to do it or not. A slave is someone who is ruled by a taskmaster. And perhaps you or someone you know has faced an addiction, and indeed you've seen that a person in that kind of a situation, they are truly a slave to that addiction, whatever that addiction might be. And they will serve that master. They'll do anything to serve that master. And they hate that master. But it's a brutal task master. And yet they will serve that master. But you see, with Christ, friends, we have a willingness to preach the gospel. We have a willingness to do those things which are correct and are right. We do these things because we want to do them. And that's what it means to be a bondservant, not a slave. And on another note, as we consider this word bondservant, let's define the word as it would have been understood in the ancient world. A bondservant was someone who had been granted their freedom, uh, freedom from slave slavery. They had once been a true slave. And that is to say that if they ever had wanted their freedom, uh, legally, they could not have it. They were, by law, a slave. And so a bondservant was someone who chose to stay with their master. In a manner of speaking, they were bound to their master, not because they had to be there, not because the law said so, but because they had made a choice to be there. You know, think of it this way. A slave does what he or she is commanded to do, and it's a burden to them, and they feel that yoke of oppression. But the bondservant loves the command as well as the commander. The bondservant is doing what they do because they have chosen that way of life. And how often we see the New Testament writers calling themselves the bondservant of Christ. In Titus 1.1, we see that Paul calls himself a bondservant of Christ. Peter is the bondservant of Jesus in his introduction in 2 Peter. And you will recall from our podcast, we went through the entire book of James, and that James called himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ also. And there's other examples as well. But what we want to get out of this, friends, is that Jude calls himself a bondservant of Christ. And there's even assurance there uh, for us as a believer. And, and how, how can I say that? Well, let's define it a little bit more. Let's, let's dig a little more, and hopefully you'll see what I mean. You see, friends, we, we've read here that Christians are the ones who've been called. And I would expand on that. We've been called. We've been, we are the beloved of God. Kept, elected, summoned, 
preserved and set apart for Christ. You're not a Christian if you are a Christian. You're not a Christian because of something you did. You are not a Christian because you evaluated all the evidence and you read the Bible and you looked at everything and you made the logical decision to follow Jesus. You're not a Christian because of your massive talent or because of the work that you can do or have done, your ability and your all-around greatness. You're not even a Christian. You need to hear me on this. You're not even a Christian because you prayed some kind of a prayer that you repeated after someone else. Those are not the things that save, my friend. You're a Christian if you are a Christian because he is the one who does the calling, the loving, the keeping, and in all other ways, setting you apart for himself. That's why you are a Christian. In short, he alone is the one who has saved you, and he did so for his own good pleasure and glorification. Now, I want to be clear about something. It doesn't mean that we didn't pray a prayer. It doesn't mean that I never did invite Christ into my heart. That's not what we're talking about. I just want you to understand that repeating a few words is no guarantee of anything. And there are a lot of folks walking around who have made really and truly a false profession of faith in Christ because they repeated some words that somebody else told them to say. And they are convinced that they're okay with God now because they said some magic words. And I just want to tell you, friends, that's not in Scripture. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. In fact, we're going to dig into that just a little bit more here in a, in a few minutes. But there is no biblical precedent set for you asking Jesus into your heart. None. It's not there. And so, friends, let me put it this way. If salvation was dependent upon me, if it were up to me, I would lose my salvation the millisecond after I got it. it it's amazing to me. Such a concept. The concept of, of losing my salvation it is so foreign to the way that I think now and the victory that I have in Christ over sin, the new life that I have found in Christ. It's just amazing. And I cannot believe there was a time where I used to honestly believe that salvation was something that could be lost. Once given, it could be lost. And, and, and friends, this is foolishness. It is total foolishness. And you might say, well, hold on a second here, James. I know someone, and they were Christians, and, and they went to church, and they gave of their money, and I saw a miraculous change happen in their life, and, and they were active in their church, and they did outreach, and they went to the mission field, and they sang in a gospel quartet. And they sang for the Lord. They were in the choir and they did Sunday school and they did this and they did that. And they gave of their money and they gave of their time. And I knew that they were Christian. And now they've walked away. And they turned their back on God. They've rejected Christ. They don't want anything to do with him. And friends, I would just remind you, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And I can fool you. You can fool me. God is not fooled. God knows the truth. 
and you can even fool yourself and you can do a whole lot of quote unquote good works, things that on the outside it would appear that you've done all these Christian-like things. It doesn't mean that you have been born again. And they went out from us, Scripture says. They went out from us because they were never of us. They are not of us. And the very reason that they went out proves that they were never one of us. Friends, if you can't trust Jesus Christ for your eternal security, you, you have no security. There is no security. What, today you're saved and tomorrow you're not? And then and then back and forth again and again? You might do something that causes you to lose your salvation. Friends, if that is the way you are thinking, if you think that salvation is something that can be lost, dear Christian, I would suggest to you that you have embraced a false teaching and that you don't understand the depravity of your own sinful nature to begin with. And you need to think about what I've said. If there was a way that I could have lost my salvation, I would have lost my salvation. And the same is true for you. I am forevermore in Christ because of Christ. I am there because God chose me and he elected me for that purpose. Salvation, not based on my work or prayers or anything that I have done, but based upon the finished work of Christ alone. You see, this is the gospel, friends. The gospel is this. Jesus came to save sinners. He lived a perfect and spotless, perfect life. No sin, no sin in him at all. And he went to the cross of Calvary, took there the full wrath of God the Father upon himself, paid the price in full. And he was dead and he was buried for three days in the tomb. And God raised him from the dead. And he was seen by witnesses. The disciples saw him and many other witnesses. And he went around and John says, that which we have seen with our eyes, that we have heard, that we, our hands have handled the very word of life. Friends, that is the one that I'm declaring to you today. And he went on to ascend into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says that all authority has been given to Christ in heaven and on earth. All authority given to him. That is the one that I am preaching to you. That is the one I'm telling you about. He is the one who will not lose a single one that the Father has given to him. And now you might ask, James, on the one hand, you're talking about being a bondservant and being there with the Master because a bondservant chooses to be there. But then on the other hand, you're talking about election, that God elects those who are saved you can't have it both ways, James. What are you talking about? You're contradicting yourself. You're, you're being very confused right now. Friends, let me explain something to you. There's this misconception that when we speak of the election of God's people unto salvation, that somehow this means that we have uh, lost our ability to act that we've lost our ability and we, we've just become some kind of a robot type of thing or some other such thing and that we have no choices. 
And friends, this is not what we mean when we speak about being saved and being part of God's elect. In fact, as I've said many times before, we come to Christ because we want to. We come to him willingly. But here's the here's the rub. Okay, here's the catch. <clears throat> I did not want him and neither did you. And the word of God tells us that I was a child of wrath. The wrath of God was resting on me. I was an enemy of God. I hated him. And you might think, oh, I, you know, I may have been, you know, bad, but I didn't hate God. Friends, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that you were a hater of God. The Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that we are born in sin under the first Adam. We are children of Adam. We were born dead spiritually. And something had to happen that changed your heart, that changed your mind, changed the way you look at things. And all of a sudden, your eyes were open to the truth. Your ears were open to hear the gospel. Maybe you'd heard it before. And you've heard people give testimony to these kind of things. I heard all this before. I heard it before. I heard it before. But then one day, something happens. They hear the gospel again. And the Holy Spirit makes them come alive. And now, they want to come to Christ. Now I want to come to him. But before, I did not. And so when I speak about election, when we speak about God's providence, and God's choosing, and calling, and keeping, and sanctifying, when we speak about these things, we are talking about how God, in his great mercy, which we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, I promise, God, in his great mercy, opens the eyes of a sinner his grace his love for for a sinner like me opens up my eyes lets me see it's amazing friends i would direct you to john chapter 17 and listen to jesus himself the god the son is praying to god the father and listen to what he says in these first two verses of john 17 this is what he says he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Dear friends, meditate on that. God the Father is the one doing the giving. He is the one giving to Christ the authority over all flesh. Authority over all flesh for what purpose? To grant eternal life. And who gets eternal life? That's the question. Who gets eternal life? Those that the Father has given to the Son. And notice that there's no mention here whatsoever. No mention of getting eternal life because of something that you have done. 
Those who receive eternal life get it because of what Christ has done. There's no repeat after me prayer here. There's no water baptism here, even as a baby. There's no water baptism for infants here. There's no keeping of holy days here. There's no list of rules and regulations that have to be kept. There's no work. There's no penance to be paid. Friends, if you have believed and some kind of penance that you can pay that it's going to earn you some cool points with God. Friends, that's not the case. The penance has already been paid by the only one who could have paid it. The price has been paid in full. The ones who are granted eternal life are the ones given to the Son by the Father. And this is not the only place where we read this kind of uh, message. Read John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus even tells his very own disciples. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And then he tells them why. Why did he choose them? He chose them so that they would bear good fruit. That they would bear fruit. Fruit that they were appointed to bear and that this fruit would continue on and friends I would even submit for your consideration the reason we're sitting here right now having this conversation it's kind of one-sided right now <laughs> but the reason I'm having this conversation with you right now is because of the lasting fruit of these disciples of Jesus Christ read Romans chapter 8 read Ephesians chapter 2 and I'm telling you my friends Whenever God opens your eyes to this truth, you will see his providence from Genesis to Revelation. I heard someone say one time from the table of contents all the way to the maps and the back of your Bible. I don't know if someone has listed it out. I would be curious to see if, if someone has actually listed out the number of times where we see the biblical references to God's salvation of his people and who does the choosing. It is God who does the choosing and he has chosen to glorify himself in this way. Friends, it becomes overwhelming. The scriptural evidence for God's election of the saved is it's beyond anything that I can imagine. It just becomes to the point where if you're going to reject this if you're going to reject the doctrine of election, you do so uh, because you're coming to the scriptures with your own uh, preconceived ideas of how things should be. And friends, I would just encourage you, um, find assurance in being the called, elected, chosen, beloved of Christ. And you might say, you know, that sounds awfully arrogant. James, you sound so arrogant. Who are you? Who do you think you are that God would choose you? And friends, you're exactly right. And if you think it's arrogance, again, you misunderstand. There's no arrogance about this at all. You understand that he could have left you. You see, grace cannot be demanded God is under no obligation whatsoever to save anyone. Where's that written? You must save. 
God could execute every human being on the face of this planet, whoever lived and whoever will live in the future, who's living now, he would be completely 100% correct in doing so. Why? Because he's a holy God and he is a just God. And you and I have broken his law. And you may not want to hear that. You may not like it. It's just too bad. That is the condition that you are in. So if you think I'm being arrogant when I talk about the election of God, once again, I'm afraid you misunderstand. You misunderstand what this is all about. And so let's get to the very last few words here. These words, mercy, peace, and love. The mercy of our God, withholding from his own the punishment that they so rightly deserve. This mercy is shown through God's action of salvation. His attitude toward the Christian upon that great day of judgment will be the attitude of mercy, withholding the punishment that we deserve. And this mercy speaks of God's active kindness toward his people. It speaks of his ever-present help in our dangerous situations. And friends, it speaks of the attitude which we should have toward those who have gone out from us, but they were not of us. And there will be even more on this topic of apostasy. If you remember from our outline, we're going to talk about apostasy as we work our way through Jude. And let's examine this next word here, the word peace. This is the peace which comes to the very soul of the believer, who knows that at the end of days that all has been made right with his God through the completed work of Christ. This is the peace of reconciliation with God. This is the peace of the purity of that relationship, not because of my work, but because of the confidence that I have in Christ. And this third word here that I want us to consider, it's this word love. The Greek word here is that word agape, which you've heard me mention before. The root here is agape. It's God's love through Christ, which brings us to his presence. It's God's generous granting of his divine favor. And what love has been poured out on God's people, his glorious church. Love beyond measure. Love that covers a multitude of sins. Love that conquers the very power of sin. Getting excited again, hitting the microphone. But love that conquers the very power of sin and all that goes with that power. I'm speaking to you, dear friends, of the love of God for a sinful people, and there is nothing like it. And then he says something here, another phrase here, and this will be the last thing that we talk about. The last phrase here, be multiplied to you. What is Jude saying in this opening? He is saying that he desires from God that these three, mercy, peace, and love, be increased greatly. The idea here with this be multiplied to you is that these would belong to the Christian to the fullest measure 
possible. And I want you to shift your thinking here just a little bit. Stay with me. We're going to do a little bit of grammar. We're just going to touch on some grammar. But whenever we list three things, when we say something like mercy, peace, and love, those are three things, and we tend to think in plural. But I want you to shift your thinking to singular for just a moment. Think of this in singular. And think of these three things as one unit. And I say this because the word here multiplied, and I'm going to try to say this word in Greek, but it's play. <laughs> place thuthanei man <laughs> I messed it up but <laughs> there was a time where I could say it correctly but the point is simply this there's a word here in Greek and it's where we get this word multiplied from and um, I do know enough about Greek to know this whenever I see it we can do what's called we can decline it and what you end up here with is something that's called an aorist verb it's in passive voice and it is in third person singular now why would it be singular if we're talking about three things it says singular but we're talking about mercy peace and love why well I'm gonna suggest to you that there's an implication here that these three things, mercy, peace, and love, come to the believer as a single package. It's yours. Imagine receiving a gift box from God, and you open the lid, you take the lid off that box. It's one present, but inside is mercy, peace, and love. It comes to you in one single package. And because of the construction of this verse on the whole, these, these two verses here together, when you take it all together, there's an implication here that God is the source of the increase of mercy, peace, and love. And the way it's written here, Jude, it's actually a prayer of Jude. You see, he is relying on God as the source of the increase of mercy, peace, and love. So this single package of mercy, peace, and love, it is given to you, Christian. It is given to you. And it would have been enough if God saved us. But he did more than that. He gave us mercy. He gave us peace. And he gave us love. And why? Why? So that we might reach out to others. So that that same mercy that has been displayed toward us. Given to us. That we might then turn around. And minister that mercy to others. That peace that we have, we could tell someone else about the peace that we have. The love that he had for us, we now love others. We now see our neighbor in a different light. Why? Because of something that I did? No, friends. It's because it's the love of Christ living in me. It's the peace of Christ living in me. It's the mercy of God living in me. That's what compels us. That's why a word like bond servant is so important. 
this is how that I can say without any reservation that we are saved based totally upon the work of Christ and Him alone and that we move forward with mercy, with peace, with love, that it is multiplied to us. This is why we find assurance here. This is what it means to be a bondservant and to stay with this master willingly because we want to. Friends, I hope this has been a blessing to you as much as it is a blessing to me to go over it. I, I love the Word of God. I tell you, friends, um, for me, uh, today has been a rough day. This is probably the 15th time that I've tried to record this. Uh, I'm learning the technology as I go. And uh, many takes, and sometimes the audio didn't come out right, video doesn't come out right. I've had a head cold. I've had all kinds of issues going on. But I was determined to get this video done today. And I hope it's a blessing to you. I hope there's joy in it for you like there is for me, friends. And I hope I've challenged you. If you have uh, uh, received some false teaching and you've believed these things, I just want to encourage you. Don't take my word for it. Read the word of God. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you the truth. Be a good Berean. The Bereans in the book of Acts, they would study the scriptures daily to see if these things that they were being taught were true. Weigh it against the word of God. And friends, I would encourage you, lay down your preconceived ideas. It's the hardest thing to do. Lay down the traditions that you hold to. And you say, well, I don't have any traditions. I don't hold on to any traditions. Everyone has traditions. Every one of us do. And it's a hard thing to lay them down and say, Lord, I want to hear from you. I don't want to guess at it. I don't want to know what somebody else's opinion is on this, Lord. I want to know what you have to say. Strip away from me anything that is not in the word when it comes to these matters. And friends, I hope that this is a blessing to you. I hope that you've been encouraged. And until the next time, may God bless you, keep his hand upon you. And I just hope and pray that those who are listening, those who are seeing this, that you are encouraged by it. And uh, who knows, we may see even more countries added to our listening list here at The Forge. Until the next time, God bless.